Hello, bonjour and salamu alaikum. Welcome to Stand Up From The Crowd, the first live podcast about no BS leadership. So if you like us, tell your friends and colleagues to go over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and to give us a five-star review because listen, the stories we share on this podcast are worth it. Don't you think so? I hope you do. <laughs> so let me ask you this question. When you are of mixed origins, where do you belong? That's a good question, right? In this episode, we delve into the inspiring story of our standout guest, Natasha Fegali, a successful woman leader who has defied the odds, leading initiatives and gaining recognition in both Canada and Kuwait. So join us as we explore her journey to self-discovery, overcoming low self-esteem, and finding a sense of belonging despite her mixed origin. Hello, Natasha. How are you doing? Hi, Darin. Bonjour. Bonjour, <laughs> One of the benefits of being uh, of mixed origins is oftentimes we speak multiple languages, right? Yes. Yeah, which, absolutely. Which can be an asset. So let's start with the beginning your childhood okay. did you have any inspirational figures you know who were your role models throughout your journey and how did they influence you to become the leader you are meant to be you know i would say of course my parents my mother mainly my grandmother um on my croatian side as well as my lebanese side they were both working women not to say that work is what makes them inspirational. But I think their determination mm -hmm. in a time when that wasn't exactly something that they were supposed to do. My Croatian grandmother came to Canada literally with no shoes after World War II and being in a coma and built an empire. She was a hairdresser and did real estate which is unbelievable, not formal real, formal real estate, but um, rental properties. And my Lebanese grandmother worked for the first phone company in Lebanon. She was a manager, which is so interesting because that wasn't really the job that, you know, a lot of women were to do in their mm -hmm. time. And they were both very entrepreneurial and both very elegant and and i think that's something that a lot of women today lose when they start to get into what you would call as more mat traditionally masculine roles mm -hmm. and i i really take that from them is that even though like two days ago i was painting a fence you know i still have my jewelry on and i still try to do my hair and i you know you still because it's hard it's often really hard to take care of yourself you know when you're juggling so many things and and i think i learned that from them as well as my my own mother that's such inspiring stories your grandma coming to canada without shoes and building an empire yes i actually have the same business as her i I basic, except that I'm not a hairdresser, even though I wanted to study cosmetology, but my parents really pushed me towards education. I, I have the, basically the same life as her. I have the, and I have the same personality too. It's so interesting, you know? Like, so this is the legacy she built. I grew up, by the time I was born and came along, like they had already sold most of everything. 
but you grew up hearing these stories and then I just went for it myself. And I, I have a lot of the same personality as her too. Love it. So if I were to ask uh, your loved ones three words to describe yourself, what would, what would that be? Courageous, mm -hmm. brave, and outgoing. Outgoing? Okay. Yeah, I'm really outgoing. I'm not, <laughs> even if the entire room does not like me, I don't, I'm still going to show up. I'm still coming. I'm still going to show up. I'm still going to be there. It doesn't matter outgoing that way. And I'll try new things sometimes for my detriment, but I will put myself in the oh, frying dear. pan if I have to. Yeah, yeah, I will. Absolutely. And, and what do you say sometimes to your detriment? Well, sometimes there are some things that... I should probably do more homework in, mm -hmm. do a little more research, and I don't. Because, uh, I don't know, I sometimes find paperwork boring. So <laughs> I, I leave it to the people I hire to do. And thank God they're wonderful. And they, they do the best work for me. They're wonderful and they do great work. And I'm thankful for that because, you know, I often don't read all the fine print. Yeah, I can relate to that. I can, I can, I can feel guilty <laughs> of not reading the fine print. <laughs> Recently bought a house. I bought another property to it's part of our investments. And somebody asked me how many bedrooms are there? And I was like, oh, I don't actually know because I bought the property. The price was so good. And the realtor, you know, they're part of the circle. And the realtor was like, Natasha, I saved this one for you. Because when it goes to market, it's going to go up at 65,000. You want it? Yes or no? So I just said, yes. I didn't even know. I don't even know how many bedrooms or bathrooms or whatever. But I know, like, I know the overall general picture of the market and, you know, the, the ROI and all of that. But those fine details, I sometimes miss them. That's okay. Listen, if it works for you, as long as it works for you, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you said that your greatest achievement is your Stanford uh, fellowship, where you yeah. were able to speak to uh, an issue affecting a uh, woman uh, in yeah. Lebanon, right? So you yes. were able to speak on this issue, uh, not only that affects uh, women in the diaspora, but women in Lebanon directly and how it impacts their lives and their children's lives. So tell us a little bit more about that that fellowship and the, the impact you had on, on, on the women and, and, and children in, in Lebanon. Um, so I am a CCDRL Stanford Fellow, and that's a fellowship on uh, democracy and law and process of law. And Lebanon is one of 27 countries in the world that does not grant women who are not married to Lebanese nationals, does not grant them citizenship to their children or to their spouse. Wow. So I am an advocate for this law to be changed or rearranged or uh, have a, a, a red circle or a policy that at the bare minimum, we should be able to transfer citizenship to our children with more than 
40 million Lebanese, identified Lebanese living outside of Lebanon. Mm -hmm. This is a soft ethnic cleansing because when you're living outside, as we spoke earlier, outside of the country, it's very unlikely that you're going to marry someone from the same country as you because you're exposed to so many different people and life just happens. I mean, yes, it would be great. That would be lovely. But sure, it may not happen. And it's not a given that it's going to happen. So at the minimum, we should be able to give our children citizenship. We don't necessarily have to give them voting rights because they're not living there. But we should at least be able to give them citizenship to at least open them up to other opportunities that might be available, such as study, uh, such as property, real estate, inheritance, and so forth. Because think the, the waters get really muddy in a, even when you are a child of someone who's a, a citizen of a different country and they leave you real estate. I think we can, all of us who are immigrant kids can speak to how muddy and ugly the waters become when mm-hmm. you're not a national. So yeah. I believe that there's a way to change this and I advocate for that. Oh, that, that, that's great. And so you are an, an an impact leader, right? You are you are making an impact. You are speaking up. You are you are changing life, and you are also an award-winning Canadian for um, your philanthropy in community and dedication to education. Um, so you received the Stanford uh, University Fellowship. We talked about it. You are also the recip- the recipient of the forty and the forty United Ways. Uh, leadership Windsor Essex Awards 2018, and much more. And still, still, despite all the recognition and uh, the accolade, the one thing that no one knows about you is the feeling of low self-esteem and the lack of belonging. Tell us more, tell us more a little bit about the, the, the self-esteem piece to start with. I think that a lot of it comes from, you know, just that feeling of kind of like, where do you really belong? You know, and even say with my fellowship, when I go to speak on it, I always need to have a disclaimer that I am not indigenous to the land. I don't have to do that. I do it out of respect for women who are living in Lebanon and who have a different, who have a suffering that I've never experienced in my life because I'm living in Canada. I was born and raised in Canada. Well, I'm currently living in Kuwait, but that's still another wealthy nation. So I don't have the same background that someone would have who is indigenous to the land. And when you do that, and even when you don't do that, even when they hear me speak in Arabic, they know that I'm not from there. And so there's always, there's always that feeling that you're not really, you know, you're kind of more this or that. You're not really from here. And so what do you really have to say? What do you know? I had a lady recently um, in a group chat who uh, is Croatian. And I had said something and she said, well, you wouldn't really know because you weren't born and raised there. You just go on vacation 
and you just do cultural things in your country. And it was so demeaning, you know, and you know, when someone says something like that to you, you just kind of stand still. You don't really have anything else to say. There's how do you follow that up? Yeah. And so I think that a lot of that leads into a feeling that you don't belong, which is a feeling of low self-esteem, of low self-worth. Yeah. And it's not true. It's kind of like in your mind. It's kind of like in your mind because you do belong there. Who says you don't, you know? And I've been doing a lot of work uh, on belonging. And it's it's more in our minds. What other people say is their own trauma. It has nothing to do with you, you know? And where you come from is where you come from. Where you are born is so subjective. It You know, it it's like time, place, parents, immigration, et cetera, et cetera. It's yeah. so subjective. But who you are is who you are. And but, that's something that I had to learn. And it, that took that has taken 40 years. Oh, listen, I'm still in the process of learning. <laughs> because, you know, so I'm French on my mom's side and, and Tunisian on my father's side. And in France, um, I'm not French enough and I will never be French enough. Right. Mm -hmm. And and I do believe some of the recent um, events that had happened in France, like showcase, like what happens for the people like me and the yoga generation who were born in France and raised in France, but that we don't consider as fully French. But then when I would go to Tunisia, I would be the French one. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I remember thinking when I moved to Canada, I was like, OK, you know what? I will be in Canada. No one will know who I am. French, not enough French, Arabic, not enough Arabic. Then I will be me and I will be Canadian. Yes. <laughs> and, and, yeah. But, but you know, you said something though. You said, you know, it's in your mind. But I would add to that, it's in your heart too, because it does hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It does hurt, right? And it's, and um, I would say that it's extremely painful when people feel that that's the way that they want to speak to you. I would say it's extremely painful. Yeah. And uh, a term I came across is the third culture kid. So we are third culture kids. Yeah. Essentially, we are living in Western countries, but we're not actually Westerners. We are by birth, by passport. However, up to, you know, 15th generation, in some cases, where our values, morals, and belief systems are very different than where we're being raised. Mm -hmm. So somehow we don't fully migrate into that system. We're kind of like partial migrants. <laughs> and then we grow up with a different set of stories, fairy tales, nursery rhymes, and so we align to that as well. We go on holidays to different places than, say, our peers. Mm -hmm. And then we're also brought up in a very multicultural environment, which is very different than our peers. It's exactly. a very different, you know, your home, your, you know, plus and team is very different than others. So it's a very interesting dichotomy that we live in and we are third culture kids because we might be, you know, on our third or fourth or fifth generation. So we're just sort of this hybrid of all these cultures. And many of us 
also choose to live abroad or choose to go and live in the country where our parents are from. Mm. And we don't really belong there either because yeah. they have different ways of navigating life that we're not used to because we are also from a different system. So Ooh. there's a beauty in it. And there's also a malaise. Yeah. There's a beauty and a malaise. Yeah. And a malaise. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, it doesn't, it no longer happens now, which is good. But I remember, you know, looking at people who have this strong feeling, this strong attachment, this strong sense of belonging to their culture, right? I, I'm, I'm, I'm based in Toronto. So when I looked at the, when I look at the Indian community, for example, the Punjabi community, for example, uh, just to mention them um like they have this strong you know attachment to their culture and this strong sense of belonging i'm like it makes them happy right it makes yeah, them so yeah. much happy and i'm like wow i wish i wish i could i could feel that strong and that happy about my my heritage but as you said you know uh, when you are of mixed origins of course uh, you are you are pulled up right either on one side or on the others and then you live in a country that is another country so with a different cultural system and all of this so now let's take a look um let's take a look about you know your your, your journey to becoming the leader you you were meant to be in the impact that you are having um can you share any pivotal moments uh, that significantly impacted your your self-esteem and it helped you uh, develop a stronger sense of self-worth Oh, Did you yeah. have like an aha moment? Oh, my aha moment, I can tell you right now. 2014, I was on a trajectory, a different path than I am now, always in education. And there was someone that I was working with who kiboshed all of my projects and plans. And I had a huge project with the university you know, like 10 years has passed now. So it's not even, it's not even in the radar. Most of those people have retired, but that man, I will never forget. That man is the reason I moved to Kuwait. He kiboshed all of my projects, all of my plans, all of my ideas. I was on a straight trajectory to administration. And because of what he did, I became very sick and very ill. Wow. And I remember I was exercising and I saw, I saw a show on TV about this place in the Middle East that I didn't even know existed. And these people had a boat and they looked like they were having fun, more fun than me. So I said, I'm moving there. And then I was also doing makeup on a movie set and I was working with a gentleman who became my mentor. And he said, the life and the lifestyle that you want to live is going to lead you to pure bankruptcy. So you need to find a way to figure this out and make more money and passive income and generational wealth. And he was just speaking the story of my childhood. So I knew already what he was saying. And I bought my first property. And again, I did it, Dedeen, like I didn't even have money. I borrowed the money from my mom. I borrowed it. I, I went to the mortgage meeting and she was like, okay, so prime plus blah, blah, blah. And I was like, is that a steak? Like I thought prime was a steak. I didn't even know what she was talking about. <laughs> okay. And I just signed on the dotted line, but it was the best decision I've ever made. I was also doing my master's back then. And I took that money because I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. This is what my, this is my life. Somebody is going to dictate 
mm-hmm. because I work for someone. So they tell me what to do, even if it's even if it's part of the same enterprise and makes them look good, they can still put the lid on you when they feel like yeah. it. And so I was like, I'm not doing this. So I took the money from my master's and I went and put it on a property and it's been great ever since. So this is, you know, you first, I, I like that because I feel like it's, it's in, it's during tough time and, you know, in adversity that you make the best decision for yourself because you go, you go deep search for that strength to do things that you may have never done otherwise. Right. It, it, it isn't until your back is up against the wall yeah. until everything you thought is going to be your life comes crashing down. And that has happened to me so many times. I'm like a veteran of that. I have like a PhD (laughs) and picking yourself back up. That's what I have a PhD in. Yeah. 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 uh, You'll survive. You survive it and it makes you a better and a stronger person. Yeah, I can can join your club on that one too. (laughs) Um, So... Did you so far like would you say that you know the way you embrace you embrace your your mixed origins and you know your diverse experiences uh um your diverse also uh, heritage right we talked about your yes. your family from Croatia and from from Lebanon um how does it have um, influenced uh your leadership approach and the way you build connection with people hmm i think because I've always been outgoing, it's easier to talk to people. I wouldn't say 100% that I build these very big connections with everyone. I would say that I have a lot of associates and acquaintances that I work with, I collaborate with, we follow each other on socials, we promote Mm -hmm. each other, support each other. But true connection is only with very few, very, very few. And that's family, friends, associates. Um, I don't, we don't have per se any employees. I have freelancers that work for us just because of the nature of my business. Um, And I would say there's not too many that I have a deep connection with. I have a lot of respect for everyone, regardless of what they're doing and or up to Mm -hmm. It's not my business, but a deep connection only with very few. I would say very few. And that's just, I think, because, you know, we're not in each other's spaces all the time. And, um, you know, I have friends that are global all over the world. And, of course, we follow each other on socials, try to, you know, share and tag and like for everybody's business. However, to form a deep, lasting connection yeah. I would say only with a very handful of people, you know, mm-hmm. even the other day I thought like if I was to have like, you know, an event, like how many people would I really invite? Would I really invite that I really could say like, you've been there forever, you know, and my communities are my communities. You know, you know, people, you um, share religious practice with people, you go to events, you volunteer, you support, but again, deep rooted um, connection is only very few. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and many, many individuals uh, struggle with, with low self-esteem and feelings of not belonging. Right. So 
in yeah. our case for yourself and I, it's because of our mixed origins. But you know, it can be for many other reasons, right? So what advice would you give to those who are like on a similar journey, uh, seeking to embrace their unique identity uh, and find their place in the world of, of, of leadership? I would say that every day, tell yourself 10 things that you're really great at and just count them on your fingers. 10 things that you're really good at that only you know that you can do. And that already makes you stand out from the crowd. Regardless of what is happening anywhere in the world, you were born with these beautiful cultures and traditions and you have that to offer. And you take that with you anywhere you go, to the gym, mm. to dinner, you know, to the boardroom, to the office you take it with you no matter where you go. And you don't have to particularly necessarily be an active member. And maybe people look at you funny. And it happens to me all the time. But I'm running a multi-million dollar business. I'm lucky if I'm going to have a shower today, Dedeen, yet alone, you know, <laughs> go and be an active. I give what I can when I can. <coughs> Excuse me. So I think that it's having, <coughs> excuse me, knowing that you take your time. You you matter no matter what. And maybe you you're a mom and you have three kids at home. Like, how are you supposed to do all these things and contribute? So no matter what people say, if you know that you're doing the right thing, you know that you're not harming others, you know that, you know, you're providing the best that you can, what you can, your gifts, then it doesn't really That's matter what, what other people mm -hmm. have to say or think. So maybe you're not French enough. Maybe you're not Algerian enough. Maybe you're not Congolese enough. Well, what is enough actually? And who defines that? We live in a global Ooh. world now. People are living, I've worked and studied with people from places I didn't even know were on a map. You know, and I'm pretty good at geography, the places I didn't even know existed and whatever little bits they can share with me of their culture is the greatest ever because it just awakens, you know, you and others. So tell yourself every day, I am these 10 things and I'm going to take these 10 things with me no matter where I go. And every day it might be something new. And regardless of who makes you feel like you don't belong, that's their insecurity, their trauma, because they're rather than say, hey, welcome, you know, you're welcome here, whether they like your opinion or your thought or not, because I don't agree with everyone, but that doesn't mean I can't be respectful and welcoming mm -hmm. to others. And if of they course. can't do that to you, then just sit by yourself. What do you care? You don't need to sit with them anyway. <laughs> that's, that's why we have cell phones sit on your phone and play a game play a crossword and, and and i like what you said actually who who does like who does to define like what is what does enough mean like what is enough like yeah what does that mean enough. being enough like that's a very good point actually i never thought about it this way like you are not enough this or you are not enough that because you are mixed of origin but what do you define as enough? What does that mean? Does it even mean anything? Who, who set the enough barometer? So yeah. in order to be enough 
of this or that, who set that standard? Like, that's what I'd like to know is who set that standard. And the person who set that standard, let's say, hypothetically speaking, are they doing 100 every day? Because if they're not, then I'm not really interested in listening to, to their perception of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It, that, that's it. Yeah. I, I mean, what, what would make, let's say, someone Hungarian enough? I, you know what I mean? Like, it's just as silly as silly. And I, I've gotten it quite a bit, you know, and that, that last one, that lady was really offensive to, for her to cross that line. Mm -hmm. And there really was no response at that moment. But I just said to myself, it's not up to her. It's not up to her. True. She True. can't decide. She doesn't decide. I was born how I was born, where I was born. So it's not up to her. Yeah. And mm -hmm. if she feels that way, well, that's unfortunate because, you know, we want to welcome people. We want to welcome others. And, you know, there's nothing that makes a, a culture more beautiful than to be welcoming of others. That's that's very true. What is the legacy that you would you would like to leave behind? Oh, well, my dream is to be able to have a change or a clause for Lebanese women, because I know the whole world knows about, you know, my beautiful culture and heritage. And I know that, but there are a lot of women who are suffering dearly because of this law, mm -hmm. a lot of women and their children are suffering and that's creating generational trauma and mm -hmm. generational poverty and suffering okay, the spouse, whatever, he, they have their own nationality, you know, they can get work visas and permits and so forth. But for the children, at least for their children, because you always know who your mother is, no matter what, you always yes. know. Of and I know how that sounds and I know how it'll come across. And, <laughs> but it's a French saying, actually, you always know who your mother is. And yeah. I wish, to, I hope to have that changed one day. I, I really hope to have the opportunity to speak more and more on this issue. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, it gets back to the sense of belonging, of mm -hmm. course. And that's beautiful that you are doing this for the woman in Lebanon when actually you were not, you were born and raised in a different country. But see, this is where your heart is, right? So right. who decide, who get to decide that you are not enough or that you are enough. You do you do what your heart tells you, commands you to do. And this is beautiful. It doesn't even, it, how does it affect me at the end of the day? Like I'm Canadian. My kids will be Canadian. It doesn't affect me truthfully. But I believe so strongly that in order to make a change, you have to help those who mm -hmm. are in need and I only hope that one day that can be a change. And it's something I'm passionate about because I'm also, it's also maybe selfishly motivated because that could be my fate. That's my sister's fate. So many girls I know that I grew up with, that's their fate, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it, it is something that is, and that can, and hopefully one day, maybe not in my lifetime, but needs to be changed yeah it just needs to be changed i don't think there's even an argument around it i, I believe it's human rights um but it just needs to be changed 
Thank you so much for that great conversation, Natasha. That was that was a lovely conversation. And you know, talking about so for those of you listening, watching the live, the replay, if you feel like low, you have a love self-esteem, or you feel like you don't belong, listen, listen, re-listen and re-re-listen to this conversation because it's going to give you the boost, you know, that you need to feel like you get to decide who you are, no matter what people say, no matter what people think, you are the one in control and you are who you decide to be. That's it. That's all. <laughs> Thank you Thank so you much. For, 